Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Uh, Just wanted to give a quick uh, precursor here. Um, Basically, double booked this week. Um, We've got two guests on for this interview podcast, Uh, so we'll be probably pushing two hours by the time this is all said and done. Uh, but two awesome guests, uh, two people that I uh, really respect and admire. Uh, the first is Bob Starkey, uh, the women's assistant basketball coach at the University of Auburn. And uh, we, we went over some terrific stuff. And then Babe Kwasniak from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, CCA. Uh, and uh, he uh, he's had a, a really interesting year, a tough year in a lot of different ways. And I want to talk to Babe about uh, taking a year off, uh, kind of going through, uh, as a coach, you you go through changes. You go through changes, and and some of those changes are not, you know, by your design. And and, and if you do this long enough, you're going to be put into situations that are going to be like this. And I wanted to talk to Babe about uh, kind of recovering from disappointment and, and how he handled that and, and, and how it perhaps changed, it, changed him and his coaching philosophy and what he's looking to do on his next go around here. So I hope everybody enjoys it. It is a longer podcast, but I hope it'll be well worth your time. So enjoy. of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 74, and we actually have a combo episode this week. Uh, we are thrilled to start this podcast with Bob Starkey, the assistant women's basketball coach at Auburn University, formerly of Texas A&M up until a few weeks ago. Um, but before we get to Coach Starkey, um, we are going to, of course, thank our founding sponsor, Cossack Chiropractic, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have a, an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi. Give them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, you're listening, you're on SoundCloud or iTunes, so get, like, rate, review, give us five stars so that we can keep getting the word out to gain momentum so we can help coaches hone their craft. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach, you're, are you living out of boxes? Are you living in a hotel? What's, what's the living arrangements with the transition phase here? Well, you nailed it with the hotel. Uh, actually living in a hotel... Uh, probably about a mile and a half from the arena, which makes it perfect for me to get in and out of the office. And uh, the wife's back home, uh, boxing up some things to make the move, and hopefully we'll get in the house here in a couple of weeks. Very nice, very nice. Mile and a half, is is that driving, or, or are you getting some cardio and, and walking back and forth a little bit? Well, I could probably use the cardio, but right <laughs> now it's driving. 
<laughs> gotcha. Well, you guys, uh, you guys have a lot of work to do, so you got to be efficient with your time. So uh, the the the, the five minute car ride or the thirty minute walk one way, uh, I, I I get it. So makes perfect sense. Um, what uh, you know is it, kind of interesting when I when I heard that you were leaving Texas A and M, I was I was a little bit surprised. Uh, what was kind of you'd been at A and M for you know about ten or eleven years, ten ten ten. I teach history, so excuse my math. No, I just finished up my ninth year there. Ninth year, okay. Uh, did you just feel like it was it was time to, to go to do something different to, to uh, rebuild a, a former power? Uh, what was kind of the motivation? Well, it, it, you know, there's probably about five or six factors in there. Uh, one of the key motivating factors for me was the the coach they just hired, Johnny Harris. Is, somebody that I've known for a long time and have a great deal of respect for. And we've had conversations off and on throughout the years uh, about, about basketball and that we share the same core principles. And uh, so when she got this job, she gave me a call. I thought this was a really good opportunity to do something new and fresh. Felt like I'd done everything I could at a and mm-hmm. I was lucky to work for a hall of famer there in Gary Blair. And, but to come here, you know, we're, we're looking at a program that was 0 15 in the sec yes. uh, last year. And, and, shoot our best player just went in the third round of the WBA draft so it's a total rebuild but it's a it's a, it's a wonderful university we got great administrative support and uh, it's just a great challenge and I think that's something that uh, kind of recharges my batteries at this point in my career and, and you know it's been a while but but Auburn has proven to be a place that you can win win in in women's basketball as well so it's it's not like yeah it's a rebuild but it's it's been done there before so it's it's not like you're going into a place that just hasn't been able to do it before uh, that's absolutely right you know uh, Joe Champy took them to three final fours and uh, not that long ago Nell Fortner took them to an SEC championship so uh, the blueprints in place it's just a matter of us rolling up our sleeves and going to work. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, congratulations on the new gig. Uh, you know, wishing nothing but the best, and um, you know, just you know, take one day at a time and, and and try to rebuild it. You know, one one day, one person, one workout at a time. You've done it before, and you'll you'll do it again. There, I have all the confidence in the world. So, um, you're a you're a South guy. You 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 know, migrated from the the West Virginia and and ended up in in Louisiana, and then. Uh, over to Texas A&M and, and then over here to Auburn. Uh, so you, you basically know every good hotel and every barbecue place uh, south of the Mason-Dixon line, I'm sure, at this point, Coach. Uh, but uh, you've, you've also been uh, really uh, fortunate um, to, to work with just legends in the game. And, and I thought we'd, we'd lead off uh, tonight with uh, talking about uh, working with uh, you know three of the Hall of Famers that you've worked with, and and wh- the first one I would talk about is is a guy that uh, folks you know kind of gets lost in the shuffle of of the great coaches of his era. But goodness gracious, what a, what a coach in Dale Brown, and and what he did at Louisiana State, and and you worked side by side with him for numerous years. Uh, so what 
what are some things is and, and you were obviously younger during that time period what are what are things that that coach brown did that made him special what are things that he did that you brought into your own coaching repertoire that that uh has helped you become the the person and the coach that you are today and and things that other coaches need to know about coach brown that maybe aren't as aware of him as, as somebody like you and i are well you know the amazing thing about Dells when he he came to LSU and it's obviously a football school and had had very little success in basketball and he turned into a basketball powerhouse As a matter of fact if I'm not if I'm not mistaken I still think he's the second winningest all-time coach in the SEC mm-hmm. uh, behind Adolph Rupp of yeah. all people so uh, he's he, it, one of the puzzling things to me is he's still not in the Naismith Hall of Fame yeah uh, the thing that made Dell different was that every day he invested in people. Mm-hmm. I mean, every day, uh, even at the expense of X's and O's sometimes. Uh, you know, the thing that I learned from him was that basketball was just a tool to impact kids and change your communities. And uh, winning was important. You know, we, we, we always have to win to keep our jobs. Uh, but winning was what he needed to do to accomplish the things he really wanted to do. So mm. by investing in his players, the managers, the administration, uh, that's why people, uh, that's why players played so hard for him. That's why I worked so hard for him. And, you know, it's, it's a really underrated thing to talk about today in terms of getting players to buy in and play hard. Everybody wants to talk about skill and, and talent. But finding a way to get kids to give you your absolute best and to accept their role and play as a team, uh, he did that as well as anybody I've ever worked for. Uh, just just a quick story of, of, of who Dell Brown is. Uh, we would travel. So if we played, say we played Tennessee on Saturday, we would leave Friday out of Baton Rouge. We would fly in, and we would always get to the arena the night before to get, get some shots up. Mm-hmm. And we rarely took a road trip that we didn't stop at a children's hospital or a cancer center. And it was not a rare thing to get into one of those things. And it just got to be uh, under, you, you could tell that we were doing some good stuff. And Dale would turn to our director of operations and say, hey, uh, call the coaches over Tennessee. Tell them we're not going to use our shooting time tonight. We, we're going to do a lot more good here. And those things resonate with people that are working for him or playing with him. They see that he is concerned about things other than whether or not they can pass or shoot or grab a rebound. And he, you know, people seem all, you know, and you can appreciate this, Mark, because I know you remember him, but people always thought his energy was a, it was an act. And I can tell you that 24, seven, 365, that guy is juiced. I just, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, on my last trip from College Station in here to Auburn, I stopped at Baton Rouge to see him. He's 85, 86 years old, still has more energy than me, still <laughs> sharp as a tack. And, uh, he's, just, he's just a unique breed. Uh, you, you know, he come from that era where there were some great personalities in coaching back oh, in those absolutely. days. Yeah. You know, Luke Carnesecca, mm-hmm. Roly, Massimino, Abe Lemons, you know. That, yeah, that was a special time. Yeah, John Thompson was another one. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I think I the the word I would uh, jump to when you're when you're describing Coach Brown is authentic. Is that absolutely. accurate, Coach? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. You know, another thing that we 
that we did every year is we would go down and we play a game in the New Orleans Superdome. You know, mm-hmm. one year we played John Thompson and Georgetown when they were in the top five in the country and then, you know, put in a, about 60,000, 70,000 people for up until about five years ago, still the largest crowd in the regular season. But every year that money would go to charity. He would put a homeless shelter. Uh, just amazing stuff that he did. And he, he wasn't afraid to be who he was, even though he sometimes got criticized for that. You know, sometimes the guys in the circles, the X's and O's and, 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 the, and the guys that we tend to think of as true basketball coaches, uh, you, you know, could be a little bit critical of coach because he, that's just the way he was. But he really didn't care. Uh, he was who he was and he made no apologies for it. Do you think if he would have won a title either you know whether it was the you know 81 or 86 when they made it to the final four or when you were with him uh with the with the teams that even if he just wins one championship do you think he's viewed differently in the history of the game oh i think so i think so and i, I think sometimes that's a fallacy Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to, if, if you could have saw what LSU was before he got there and then he's there and he turns into a basketball school and, and they're going to, to Final Fours, they're winning SEC championships and they just can't get over the hump. You know, one of my one of my mentors and dear friends, Don Meyer, used to have a quote that you don't have to win a championship to be a champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's Dale Brown. I mean, he was a champion in a whole lot of other ways. Yeah, hold your thoughts on Coach Meyer, Coach, because uh, we'll, we'll spend a uh... Uh, a, a good amount of time with him later on in the podcast here so i had to do the same thing with coach boone as well so uh so uh put put that one in your hip pocket be ready to bring that reliever in at about the bottom of the sixth okay you got it. <laughs> um sue gunter a, another hall of famer that you had a chance to work for with uh, at, at louisiana state uh kind of same same line of questioning coach uh what made her unique uh is it is it true? Her first coaching job, she went like forty four and zero at at uh, was it Middle Tennessee State or something like that? Did I read? Uh, not only is that true, but by the way, the NCAA doesn't count those wins on her career total because of inaccurate record keeping by the sports information department there, uh, or her win total as fat as unbelievable as it was would be even higher. Yeah. The thing about Coach Gunner, if I if one word, humility. Mm-hmm. One of the most humble people you would ever meet. Now, there's so much more to her. Number one, she was an All-American player mm-hmm. uh, at Nashville Business College, which has now become a part of Vanderbilt. Was just a great player. Uh, obviously, started the Middle Tennessee State program was outstanding. Then with the Stephen F. Austin, started that program was outstanding. Uh, was our Olympic coach in 1980, along with Dean Smith during the boycott year, and then you know finished with a great run at, at LSU when uh, David Stern put together uh, a group of 12 people to come to New York for a week and map out how they were going to develop the WNBA. Coach Gunner was on that committee. Uh, but she was never anybody that tooted her horn. She, she was one of the best uh, technical teachers I've ever been around as well. Uh, but for everything she did, uh, you would never hear her toot her own horn. She was just a, a, a very modest, humble person. Uh, and, and I thought that was a great example for a lot of the young women that played for her. Last but but certainly not our and certainly not least in our roll call here, your your most recent uh, long term employer here, Gary Blair, at uh, at Texas A and M. Uh, again, uh, 
I promise that the questions will differ, Coach. Uh, but I, I just wanted to start in in this uh, in this vein and kind of mine it for all it was worth. Coach Blair, uh, what makes him so special? I think what makes him different, first of all, again, another original guy that's comfortable in his own skin. Uh, but he's one of these guys who recognize very early the importance of giving community access to your players i mean he does everything from luncheons to open practices to get your team out in the community uh he has a charity golf to all these things and that's one of the reasons his programs are always in the top 10 in attendance he's made women's basketball relevant you know first at Stephen F. Austin, then at Arkansas, and now at Texas A&M because he has this full view. Like, you will never see him during basketball season anywhere in the community without tickets stick, sticking out of his pocket. <laughs> I mean, he is a marketer on the move. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of coaches who don't want to spend time doing that. They don't think it's their, their job. But uh, he's made women's basketball important in College Station uh, by realizing all those things. He speaks, I don't care, you know, it could be a group of a hundred needs him to speak or a group of six and he's going to be there and uh i I really think we need more of that women's basketball you uh you made the jump you started out as a high school coach and and then uh you got to you know you know went to to smaller schools and then you know you've you've been at the 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 highest levels for an extended amount of time um one of the things that I know I've been asked before by by coaches who are younger. Uh, you know what what can be done or what can a coach do uh, to to get to the point where where you're at, coach, in the sense of uh, coaching at the at the highest levels. Your your advice to to young coaches who say, yeah, you know what, someday I want to see, I want to be where, where Coach Starkey is and, and coaching at the Division One level, whether it's an assistant coach or a head coach or, or being involved uh, in, in some way, shape, or form, maybe a director of basketball operations, so forth and so on. Uh, what advice do you have for, for men or women that are coaching uh, the men or women's game to, to reach that level? You know, that's a great question, and uh... – it's it's a lot more difficult to be honest with you, Marty. Uh, when I first started out uh, as a high school coach, I spent nine weeks every summer uh, working basketball camps. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that my my yeah. first job at West Virginia State College, then at Marshall, uh, and then working for Dale Brown and Sue Gunner, I worked their camps before they hired me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you build a relationship there. They see you teach. They see you work. And, and now there's NCAA rules in place where, where it's hard to hire a high school coach to work at camp anymore, especially if they have a player you might recruit. So it makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Uh, the advice I would say is, you know, when I started out in this thing, I, I wasn't interested in being a college coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I was coaching high school basketball and enjoying it. Uh, and uh, West Virginia State College NAI school came calling, and the first time they called, I said no. Uh, I just didn't see myself being a college coach. And then another year went by, and uh, one of my my childhood friends, Jim Boone, was an assistant coach at West Virginia State, and, and we just spent some time. He said, "Man, you got to give it a shot." So I gave it a shot, and uh, you know, again, I, I enjoyed where I was at at West Virginia State College. I, I never gave any thought to moving up the ladder, so to speak. Those those opportunities just came about because I think I worked hard. And like I said, I made some connections. But if, if I was a young coach 
um, coming up today, I, I would make sure I found ways to get on college campuses to visit practices. Uh, I would do a lot of uh, dropping emails and, and writing notes. You, you got to find a way to connect. They, they've got to know that you want to be involved in part. Uh, you know, clinics. Clinics mm-hmm. are a great way to meet coaches. Uh, and, you know, besides learning a lot of basketball as well. Uh, but I, I think that was one thing that, that, that I did besides camp. You know, I, I enjoy going to campuses and making meetings with coaches and going in for, for a couple of hours, two, three hours and talking basketball and uh, not only did I get a chance to know me, but then I got an opportunity to say, hey, you know, if something ever comes, comes open, I wouldn't mind coaching on this level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that um, th- those personal relationships are so valuable, but you have to you have to build genuine relationships. It, it, it can't be it can't be faked. It, it can't be uh, manufactured in any way, shape, or form. You have to you have to be genuine, and you have to put effort into those relationships. You have to follow up. You you you. Um, a, a true friend is is really hard to find. Is you know we're both at that age, coach, where we we can kind of see through the BS of people. Um, and and true friends are hard to find. And and when you want to make those connections, make sure it's it's a genuine connection and not just a a business connection. Don't you think, coach? I think that's really important as well. One hundred percent. You know, I I took a basketball coaching class when I was at Marshall University from Stu Aberdeen, and there I learned the art of writing a note. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing that Stu would always say is, 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 you know, if you're a college coach, don't write a high school coach just when they have a player. You know, you, you want to write notes all the time. And if you're a high school coach, just don't write a college coach when you need a job. Uh, you know, his thing was always write the last note. You know, if, if I wrote a note to, to you, Marty, and you wrote a note back and said, thank you, Stu would tell me, I need to write a note back and thank you for thanking me. <laughs> and and that, that's how relationships are built. You know, I'll add one more thing, too. You have to be patient, and you have to be willing to be poor. Uh, just, yeah. just real quick, my first job at West Virginia State College, uh, they had gone 4-18 and 18 the year before I joined the staff. And uh, the athletic director offered me $6,000, a meal card, and a place to stay there on campus. And, yeah, you know, first of all, I thought I hit the lottery. I, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> so my first year, we go 18-10. and 10. And the athletic director calls me in. You know, it's in high school. We, we got budget problems. I'm going to have to cut your salary from six thousand to four thousand. Uh, we're not going to be able to afford to, to to pay for your meal card. And so uh, that that particular year, we came out and we, we won 26 games and finished second in our conference at the end of the year. The uh, athletic director called me in. He said, "I'm embarrassed to say this, but we got more budget cuts. I got to take your salary to two thousand." And we're not going to be able to afford to, to put you in housing anymore. So, you know, I, I grab my clothes and, and I move into the office in my last year. There we go, 31-3, a national runner-up. And then I had an opportunity to go to Marshall. Mm-hmm. And uh, after Marshall for a year, I went to uh, LSU to work for Dale. And that was when they had just created the third assistant spot. And I was I was working for Dale making $16,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And and that that's probably uh, one of the things that, that can sometimes irritate me with young people today. You know, they, they all want to come out of school and uh, grab a, a power five assistant coaching job for six figures. And, yeah. you know, I got into it for the right reason. And I learned to grind. And I didn't do it for the money and I learned my craft and I paid my dues. And uh, I, I, it's, 
you just got to be able to understand why you're doing it. And you got to have some resiliency when you don't necessarily get the job that you want or you're not getting the salary that you want. But if you hang in there and you do your job, you will get noticed, I promise. Yeah, yeah. And and you have, have been a, a tremendous mentor uh, to a lot of people. And, and one of the things that you're really involved with is is something called a step up, which is kind of an, an, an advice uh, platform it's a it's a it's a community within the college coaching community uh, describe describe this organization's mission and and purpose and what it's doing for assistant coaches at your level and 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 what's drawn you to it well you know a step up is the brainchild of johnny and felicia hall allen uh, first got to know them when i was lsu they 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 as a matter of fact they still do go around do team building uh, exercises with your teams and they came up with the concept of creating something just for assistant coaches so mm-hmm. uh, every spring uh, they put on a three-day symposium for uh, assistant coaches and it talk, it's, it's different than a normal clinic there's certainly some some x and o components and some teaching components but there's a lot of things from time management uh, to recruiting to understanding technology to all those things that, you know, most coaches get into it because they want to coach a basketball game and call a play. And we all know that's about 10% of it. And that's what this symposium does. It's also created uh, an unbelievable networking organization because Felicia and Johnny have brought in a lot of veteran coaches like myself and uh, head coaches and uh, even some athletic directors. And uh, so you get an opportunity to meet a lot of people and, and there's been a lot of growth. There's, it, it would be interesting to know how many young assistant coaches have gotten jobs and moved up the ladder uh, because of their association with the step up. It, uh, it's a tremendous concept and it's been really good for, and it's men's and women's basketball, by the way, both sides, but it's been really good for, for the game. Yeah. Is this something that uh, just any college assistant can get in on? Uh, uh, if they're, let's say, they're an NAIA assistant or or a JUCO assistant, uh, you know, what's kind of the process to get involved with it? Just because, in case we have somebody listening who might want to uh, get involved with that, coach. Uh, any level. As a matter of fact, we we've also uh, had high school coaches that have come to it that want to get into the college game. I would say fifty percent of the coaches that attend are uh, low D1, Division two, Division three. We've had some junior college coaches. It's anybody that wants to improve their craft. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, you know, we'll, we'll have speakers uh, to, to connect like that. So not every speaker will be a Power 5 speaker. We'll have a, a Division two speaker or a Division three speaker uh, talk because that's a different level of coaching. The resources are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scholarships available are different. So if there's a pretty – uh, large scope and wide range of things that we provide to coaches to help them get better. And where's that symposium at every year? It, well, it's actually bounced around. We've took it around to a lot of places in the country so uh, you know we could get uh, as many coaches involved as possible. Obviously, mm-hmm. we just finished up uh, our, our second session in a row that was virtual because of COVID. Sure. I understand next year uh, we'll be back in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got I got family that's down there in Charlotte. I might have to uh, snooker my wife into uh, believing I'm going to visit family and then do a three day basketball nerd uh, journey down there. Uh, don't tell her that though, uh, if you would. Gotcha. 
you, you need to do it, Marty. I, I'd love to hang out with you. You would enjoy it. I promise you enjoy it. Uh, you know, the, the speakers are amazing. We brought in some, and that's the other thing. We'll, 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 we've brought in a Kevin Eastman, an NBA speaker, but we might bring in a John Gordon. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's just, it's a wide range of things. And then they, they have a, an early bird uh, session for coaches who want to get up at six o'clock in the morning and just chit chat basketball. And then they have a midnight madness for coaches who want to stay up late. It's just, it's, it's a really neat melting pot of things you can do. Awesome. Sounds like a great deal. Um, well, uh, I'll have to, uh, when we're all done, I'll have to get some information from you on it, and I'll, and I'll put it on my Twitter handle and, 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 and start helping you out, plugging that stuff up here in the, in the Midwest, if, if that's all right with you. I absolutely would love it. It's a great opportunity for young coaches. Terrific. Um, I was looking at your stuff, and, and Coach, you would probably know better than I would, but I think you have one of the most, this has got to be a statistical anom- anomaly, uh, that's my biggest word of the day, by the way. That's it. I'm, I'm tapped out when it comes to vocabulary after anomaly. You not only have had the opportunity, it's very rare for any coach to have the opportunity to, to coach the number one draft pick in the NBA or the WNBA um, as their college coach, but you have actually done both with Shaquille O'Neal and Simone Augustus. Um, how, how that's gotta that's gotta make you feel really good. Well, it, it does, and also makes you look really smart. So you know, <laughs> how, the better the players, the smarter the coach. So I, I'll be the first one to tell you, I, I've been one of the most fortunate people in this business to coach some amazing players. You know, you you name two uh, number one draft picks, but uh, I think on the men's side, I think I've coached maybe a a total of four or five first round picks. And on the women's side, it's, it's close to 14 or 15. So just really blessed to coach some special players and, uh, you know, and, 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 and to learn from them. I, I mm-hmm. think when you work with really, really great players, mm-hmm. uh, I think you learn more from them than they do from you. I, I, I actually wrote a blog post about this several years ago about how coaching Sylvia Fowles, who I think, is is probably the best women's post player that's ever played. How she stretched me. She picked things up so fast uh, that she got to to uh, maxed out my level of expertise. And so I'm out there, you know, spending some time with Jim Foster and going through some old Pete Newell notes and trying to find new <laughs> things feature and a way to elevate her game. So uh, working with them is special number one because you're going to win some more ball games but number two it it really puts a premium on you trying to learn because you want to take them to another level yeah and 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 that that's what you you love that as a coach uh when when you're you know you're the one that's used to stretching the players but when you have a player that stretches you uh in a positive way and not in a in a stressful way and and i know there's a lot of coaches that are listening right now that are nodding going, yeah, I know the coaches that have stressed or the players that have stressed me out and have stretched me in that way, but to have a player that will stretch you to, to make, to, to up your game as a coach is, is a privilege as and an honor. Don't you think? Oh, there's no question. And, and here, here's the, here's the, the caveat to that. You know, we, we, we just named some players and, and, and Shaquille and, and Simone and Sylvia, and these are great kids. 
you know, there's, there's been some talented kids that, that can be some knuckleheads and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that, that makes your job a little bit difficult, but I, I've coached some really good players that were even better people. Uh, and that, that's when the job's the most fun. Yeah. That's when the job's the most fun. Yeah. So I, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't try to get one Shaquille O'Neal story out of you, uh, you know, something that, that happened while he was at LSU or, or uh, you, you've you've been so generous with your uh, letting us behind the curtain to talk about some of these folks that you've spent so much time with. Uh, what's something about uh, somebody of the the stature, the celebrity of Shaquille O'Neal uh, that people may not realize or know about him? Because he just seems like just a good dude to me. Uh, from 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 all the the, the things that I've seen of him and obviously i've never met him or anything like that you have a personal relationship with him uh it just seems like he is we, we talked about authenticity and and being genuine and and that's the way it seems like Shaq is as well well i'll give you a quick one and, and you just don't hear of this anymore you know we had another talented player uh at lsu when Shaquille was there named stanley roberts yep. who also first round draft choice another seven foot two talented post player and, and Shaquille was starting and Stanley was coming off the bench and Stanley was struggling a little bit and Shaquille came into one of our staff meetings and said coaches won't we try this won't you start Stanley see if that helps his confidence and bring me off the bench I'll be fine now you, you just don't hear that anymore mm-hmm. you know kids they want to start they want playing time but that that's probably the side of Shaquille that I'm not sure everybody knows. He was an incredible, incredible teammate. Still is. Yeah. He's still close to all those kids. Uh, you know, that that was a really close team, and it's because our best players had that type of mentality. Uh, now he was uh, he was a jokester and a prankster. That you know the the Shaquille you see on TBS. He he's always been like that. Had uh, great parents, mm-hmm. Sergeant Harry Lucille. I remember after his sophomore year, uh, we had the family in and. Coach Brown had it all laid out there. You know, he was he would be a lottery pick, and this was it would mean this much money. This would be a signing bonus. Uh, this is what he could possibly make from endorsements. And we're about halfway through, and Shaquille's mom looks up and says, "Coach, really appreciate you doing all this, but Shaquille's not leaving. He's going to get his degree. Mm-hmm. This, this can wait." And you know, Shaquille stayed for his junior year, so. We had it all over again. By the way, this is going to speak to who Coach Brown is. So after his junior year, we bring him back in. And Coach says, okay, you're not a lottery pick anymore. You're you're a lot for the number one pick. This amount of money obviously went up. Signing bonus went up. Endorsements went up. Shaquille's mom steps in. No, Coach, he, he still needs a little bit to get his degree. And Coach says, Lucille, I appreciate that. I love the fact that you really, really care about education. But Shaquille's not coming back. He needs to go. Yep. The time is right. I'd be selfish keeping him. Now, I'm going to promise you, he's going to get his degree, but he needs to go. But that's that's an idea of, of Shaquille's family and, and why he's so centered. You know, Shaquille's be, biggest success story in life is not basketball. It's what he's done since he's retired. Absolutely. I mean, yep. he's a massive business guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because he, he has an education. By the way, he's got his doctorate. Not only did he graduate at LSU, he got a master's and a doctorate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and how many guys or gals would have bolted at the first opportunity, and and he chose to do things you know the right way as as absolutely you know and, that, that speaks to his parents. Yeah, 
you know, Sergeant Harrison and Lucille, uh, that they, they were pro-education from the time he was born. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's no, uh, obviously he was given physical gifts uh, by the good Lord, uh, but the the he, he's taken those physical gifts and turned them into uh, uh, business opportunities. And like you said, Coach, uh, he, he has taken that and, and taken ad, uh, advantage of his physical gifts to create something much, much bigger uh, with his personality, with his mind, and, and all the other intangibles that it takes to build a, a business empire the way that Shaquille has. And, and I'll add this, he, he continues to give back. I mm-hmm. mean, there's some charities he's involved with and uh, I mean, that's, he's just, man, he's, he's a once in a lifetime kind of guy with the type of player he was, the type of person he was and the things he's still doing today. Yeah. Yes. Terrific stuff. Terrific stuff. Coach, you mind if I take a second to pay for some bills here? Oh, you got to pay the bills. All right. Coaches, there are numerous resources in the coaching universe to help make coaches better. Podcasts, websites, videos, and everything in between. But if you're, look, if you're a high school coach looking for a resource that addresses the skills necessary to be a successful youth and high school coach, look no further than A Pen and a Napkin University. A Pen and a Napkin University is a series of courses designed to help you as a youth or high school coach to hone your craft in the offseason. A Pen and a Napkin University features four separate courses starting the first week in July to help develop your coaching skills. The four courses are Personal Growth and Development, Building Your X's and O's Philosophy, Building Your Program, and Fundamentals and Drill Work. Each course is seven weeks long, with a new topic each week to dive into. The best thing about a Pen and a Napkin University is its flexibility. You can sign up for a weekly topic, an entire course, or the entire program. It's whatever fits your schedule and your budget. For more information, send us an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. All right, Coach. Each week, when we get to this point on our interview podcast, we have uh, the Don Meyer quote of the day. And uh, I usually have a, Don, a Coach Meyer quote, and the, the guest and I, we, we, we talk about it. Uh, but you are the third person that I've had on uh, one was a former player of Coach Meyer. The second was Coach Boone a few weeks ago, and now you're the third who who had a a true personal relationship with Coach Meyer. And in, in these situations, I just let the guest cook here and and talk about Coach Meyer and and why he he was the goat and and why he's just so important to the history of the game and and why uh, coaches young and old should be studying what what Coach Meyer did. So. I'll just turn it over here to you. I know you guys were really close. Uh, I'm just going to let you cook here, Coach. Wow. I, we, we could probably go for about three or four hours here. <laughs> well, I have to, uh, uh, at 8.30 tomorrow morning, I have to talk about uh, the Ronald Reagan presidency. So I do have a bit of a time limit, Coach, but everything's plugged in <laughs> and we're powered up. So um, I'm good for a while here. So y- you just go ahead and go. Well, in my relationship with, with Coach Meyer actually started from a, a prodding from, from Dale Brown. He called me in his office and, and said, you know, what do you know about Don Meyer? And I said, well, I, I know he's an outstanding NAI coach. And he said, well, he's got a free fall clinic in, in Nashville. I'd like for you to go up where I think you'd really enjoy and benefit from it. So I went up and, you know, <laughs> his clinics, his academy, anytime he speaks, they're, they're, they were just the best. I mean, he's just, he just, he just has an amazing knack to know how to teach. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I bring back, you know, just a tablet full of notes and, and, uh, I type him up a letter on LSU stationery and tell him how wonderful it was. I really appreciated it. About a week later, I, I get an envelope back from him and you open up and it's a yellow legal pad piece of paper. And he says, Bob, this is NAI stationery. <laughs> Right then, the guy's got you. But, but you know, he, he said these things about what we were doing at LSU and told me he wanted me to come up to his, his coaching academy and, and stay at his house. And uh, I wanted to go to the coaching academy every Sunday. So I go up to the coaching academy. And I check into a hotel. I mean, I, I'm just assuming he's just being nice. So I go to register, and he says, this is, where's your stuff? I say, Coach, I put in the hotel. He said, no, 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 no. No, oh, you're staying at the house. Let's go get the stuff. So we go get my stuff. And in Nashville, Marty, he had a three-story home with nine guest bedrooms. Oh, geez. And he had built that house just so he could house coaches when they came in. Wow. And uh, I, I remember I, that. Oh, it, it, and it was you. It was amazing, the people that would be in there. I remember one summer – uh, up on the third floor, I, I shared a room with Dean Lockwood, outstanding women's coach. I, he's at Michigan State now, and and Majerus was there. And and up on the third floor, there there's a, uh, like a little living room area. And whoever was staying in the house late at night, you know, you, you you sit up there and you had conversations. And the house was amazing. His wife Carmen, who is a an absolute saint, would would feed us and take care of us and. So that kind of started my relationship to the point where I go up to Nashville three or four times a year. And uh, I remember having a conversation with him about he, he was just an unbelievable admirer of John Wood. Mm-hmm. And Dale had uh, an unbelievable relationship with John Wood where Dale would go out to L.A. every summer, spend three or four days with Coach Wood, and then come back and share the notes with the staff. And... Uh, I remember telling Dale one time, I said, that's amazing. I'd, I'd love to spend a day with Coach Wood. And he said, well, let's make it happen. So Coach sets it up where I go out, and I get to spend a day with Coach Wood. And I'm telling Coach Meyer all about this. He said, man, I'd love to spend some time with Coach Wood. So I come back and tell Dale, and he says, you know, John's coming. He's going to stay at my house for a week. Tell Don to come down here and stay with us. So I set it up for Coach Meyer to come down, and he's staying at Dale's house with John Wood. This this is amazing, Marty. And I, mm-hmm. I went over one night, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, here's this guy from Winfield, West Virginia. <laughs> and there's Dale Brown, John Wood, and Don Meyer talking basketball. I don't open my mouth. <laughs> I am I'm writing things down as fast as I can. I mean, these are these are three of, of the absolute game's best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from that, it just evolved to a friendship. Uh, when my wife was battling breast cancer, uh, she got a note and a phone call every week from Coach Meyer. I didn't. I, I, you know, I, I, might get, I might hear from Coach about, you know, once a month. But yeah. he, he took care of my wife. Mm-hmm. He took care of my wife. There was a time where I had to fill in during the NCAA tournament and be head coach mm-hmm. on an interim basis. And Don called me every day, every single day. There'd be some days he'd say, let's go over practice. What you doing in practice today? Or he'd want to go over the scout. Mm-hmm. You know, where you or there'd be some days he would just call and cut up because he knew I needed a laugh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was blessed to have you at my house, you know, four or five times. He'd always come down and speak to our clinics at LSU and then uh, Texas A&M and 
Um, I get emotional talking about him. He, he, I don't know anybody that has impacted basketball more than Don Meyer. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. his clinics and his academies, mm-hmm. uh, he has taught junior high coaches, high school coaches, college coaches on both sides. Uh, you know, it, it was, you know, I can remember going to one of his academies and down there with Sylvia Hatchell from North Carolina. Uh, you know, Sherry Cole was there taking notes one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tubby Smith was there. He, you know, Mike Shashansky talks about him the way he talks about Bob Knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat Summit had great respect for him. She, Pat Summit hired three male coaches during her career, and two of them came from Coach Meyer. Wow. And the, the thing is, I'm sitting here and I'm telling you about this personal relationship I had with Coach Meyer and how he impacted me and how he helped me. And I promise you, there there's a thousand other coaches who can sit here on the phone and say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it's 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 interesting that you you say that. And we were talking about coaches and young coaches moving up, and and one of the best pieces of advice that. Uh, my dad gave me when I said, you know, I think I'm crazy enough to get into this profession here. And he said, there's going to come a time where you're going to be sitting around some people and you just need to shut up and listen. And this is when you're 21, 22. And, you know, we're all 21 or 22. We think we're really smart, you know, and we're not, we're stupid. Um, and wouldn't you know it, coach, about a month later, my, my, my first coaching job was at a student was, I was a student assistant at my alma mater, um, which is an NAI school. So, you know, go, go NAI. Um, and we were at the state tournament in Nebraska and we ended up at a, at an, at an establishment with, with two or three older coaches. And it was the guy I was working for and another guy, there was about five or six of us and, and, and. Ken Rodas is sitting across from me, and he ended up with 500 plus wins. And Gene Steinmeier sitting across from me, and and Coach Power, and a couple. Of, and, and I and I said, okay, this is the time where your dad was talking about, where you just shut up and listen, and you don't say a word, and you're just a fly on the wall. And and I think that's so important for for young coaches when you're in those situations. Uh, it's okay to admit that you don't belong in those situations. Just be thankful that you're there and learn from it. And I think that's a valuable teaching lesson that, that, that young coaches can take out of those situations is, you know, take advantage of that, but, but, uh, realize who you're with and, and take advantage of all the, 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 the information that's being passed back and forth and the wisdom that's being passed back and forth. Like the, the couple of situations that we're talking about between one another here. I think that's that's an invaluable lesson, and, and and it kind of reminds me of this point too. Young coaches shouldn't think that the only place they even go to learn basketball is from Pyre Five coaches. Absolutely, you got freaking Don Meyer, you got you know Coach Patterson at Taylor University, somebody I used to spend some time with, and you know some of the Dick Bennett started out on the NAI level. Mm-hmm. There's there's some absolutely phenomenal coaches. Mm-hmm. On all those, I'll tell you one of the things I enjoy, Marty, is going, going recruiting and getting an opportunity to sit in a good high school coach's gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we picked up a drill, some terminology and inbounds play just by watching a good high school team. You can learn at a lot of different places. And I think that's really important for young coaches to know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Coach, I know, I, I know, uh, 
that that was uh, a little bit emotional for you to talk about. I appreciate you being so open and honest on that. Um, like I said, I I'm a Don Meyer guy. That was one of the again, Coach Power told me, you know, this is this is a guy you need to to learn from, and I've got every Don Meyer DVD. Um, I have bequeathed them to my to my boys, uh, so they're they're theirs. I hope they don't get them for about forty years or so, but you know, uh, to to own. But uh, just a, just an invaluable resource, and we definitely, uh, like I said, every interview podcast, we, Don Meyer comes up, and and we make sure that it does because he deserves his rightful place in the lexicon of great coaches. So I, I appreciate you being so open and honest there. Hey, hey Marty, how far ahead was Coach Meyer with his videos? Oh. A million years ahead. Oh, a million years unbelievable! Ahead. I, I, I still watch those things. They're still they're <laughs> they're timeless. His uh, teaching principles are timeless. I uh, when when we got shut down uh, last spring uh, from teaching, you know, and and everything happened all at once, and you know, I was for the last two months or so of the school year, I was teaching from home and I was making videos every day and, and you know, doing everything online. And, and, and our kids have iPads at, at our school. So you could do, you know, we're, we're fortunate in that regard. I, and, uh, but while I was doing schoolwork every day, every day I put in a different Don Meyer video and retook notes as I was watching the Don Meyer videos. And by the time <laughs> Memorial Day had hit, I had re-gone through every single one of them from start to finish, and it was like, God, look at all this. Yeah, I forgot about this teaching point. Yep, this is the way you need to teach, you know, shell drill or or whatever it may be. And and so, you know, in some of these programs, like you're saying, Coach, they're over 30 years old, and they are still extremely valuable today. You know, he did a, a series, of course, he, the, the ones we're talking about, I think there's about 30 of them, but he did a, a series of seven short videos with Jerry Krause mm-hmm. and about 15 minutes long. And there's one called Team Attitude that I still show to every team I coach at the beginning of the year. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and so th- those principles are tried and true. And, uh, you know, it's the, the same you you can take all this stuff. You can take all the social media. You can take this. You can take that. What truly makes a team in 1985 is still going to make a team in 2021. The the core Amen. principles of that. Amen. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So um, terrific stuff, Coach. Just absolutely awesome. Um, I wanted to jump into some of your stuff. I, I, I find your career really, really... Uh, fascinating in the regard that you know you've you've not been um, other than the the interim situation that you referred to, uh, but you have you you've had all these uh, great stops and and success, but uh, you have not been a head coach, but you have been uh, I think and I truly truly mean this coach, and I've been a, a fan of yours from afar. I think you have been the uh, the consummate. Uh, person to follow as what it takes to be a great assistant coach someone that you know I tell my players no accept embrace and excel at your role and and that is what you have done in your profession and in your position as an assistant coach and and one of the things I one of the reasons why I really wanted you on my podcast was to talk about the roles of an assistant coach and uh, what your job should be, uh, how you should approach your job, because you know we've kind of talked about this quite a bit here tonight. 
you know, a lot of coaches want to jump straight from, well, I've been an assistant for a year or two. Now I'm ready to be a head coach. And, and, and they're looking, they're looking ahead. And I was probably guilty of it as well when I was younger. I, I know I was, um, but I'm really glad that I was an assistant for, for 10 years, basically 10 of my first 11 years, I was an assistant coach and it really got me ready to be a head coach for the long term. So I want to dive in with that. And, and, uh, let's start with, uh, just, what should you be focused on to be a, a great assistant coach? Well, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm going to start off with the bang. You know, the most impactful person early in my career was my junior high coach. And uh, I, I could talk about him for a while. He's still coaching. He's a high school coach now, one of the most successful coaches in the state of West Virginia. Uh, he impacted me so much that when I got married at the age of 31, he was standing beside me, and, and I still talk to him once a week. But when I left West Virginia to go to LSU to work for Dale Brown, I said, give me something. Give me some advice. So I'll never forget what he said. Be the assistant coach you would want if you were the head coach. Mm-hmm. And that's a really powerful mindset. Mm-hmm. So uh, – the number one thing you're doing is you're trying to make your head coach look good. You're trying to make their job easier. And that sometimes means you have to swallow your ego. You're not doing things for yourself. You're doing things for the the betterment of the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I think is important as an assistant coach is to understand your role. Uh, you know, maybe coach is going to give you some responsibility on the defensive end. When you want it on the offensive end, well, coach has a different viewpoint for you, just like he does for a, a score or a screener or a feeder. Mm-hmm. Make sure the things that the coach wants you to do, you're an expert on. You're diving into that every day, trying to find a way to be better. That doesn't mean you can't find time to study and work on these other areas because you want to become a better, more well-rounded coach. But you have to understand what that particular head coach needs and you have to become an expert at it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I prided myself on is I was the first one in the office and I was the last one to leave. And I, there were things, there's always things to do. There's always things to do in the office. But when my head coach came in the office, I wanted to know that I was already there. And when he left, he could stop by. And if he had something for me to do, I would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, and, and I think this is lost on young coaches earlier. We talked about this a, a little while back. Is it's not about calling plays or, or or X's and O's. If you want to be in this business a long time and you want to succeed, it's about relationships. And that's just not the relationships with your with your players. Those are important, but it's with everybody. If you want to do your job, there's a I want to say it's a, one of Coach Calipari's books, and he talks about. A young man, it's a senior year in college. He's in he's in the school of business, and he needs one A in his final exam to pull a four point for his four years in college. And he goes in on the day of the final, and there's a piece of paper face down, and the teacher says, "I'm about to teach you the most important lesson in terms of being successful." And he says, "You have one question. Turn it over." If you answer it, I'm going to move your grade up one. If you if you miss it, we're going to move your grade down a notch, and that's it. And you turn the piece of paper over. It says, give me the first name of the janitor in this building. 
And that that's that really is the you want to talk about Coach Gunner. We talked about Coach Gunner earlier. Mm-hmm. Coach Gunner not only knew the names of the janitors and the secretaries, but their kids, their grandkids, where they were born. That she was genuinely invested in everybody that had something to do with their program. And you, you think that's certainly the responsibility of a head coach, but if you want to elevate your program, you have that same mindset as an assistant coach. That's how you get things done. You're, you know, you, you need to practice four sweat. Your head coach needs this done. It's going to be a little bit easier if you have a relationship with the custodian. Mm-hmm. Uh, relationships are everything. It, it takes a lot of work because it's not cookie cutter. Everybody's different. Everybody has a different why. Mm-hmm. You have to be a good listener. Um, and and I, here's the other thing, and you, you, you hit on this a little bit. Be where your feet are. Yeah. Kid goes in. If, if, if you're on a job and half the time you're doing your job and half the time you're thinking about the next job, then your current job's not going to get your very best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think technology's a big thing, too. Marty, I mean, that's one thing that's changed from, you know, when you and I first got in this business. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, yeah. You, you better accept it. You better be excited about it instead of complaining about it because it that that's, I mean, Jesus, that's light years the way it's moving. Yeah, I, I, re, I remember. I'm, I, I am old enough to, uh, you know, if you were going to get a VHS tape, you had to... to, to contact the coach a week before you before you played somebody so you gave it <laughs> two or three right. days to get into the mail and then you had two or three days to to break it down i mean uh you know folks that have only had huddle or synergy or what you know what whatever uh program of choice that the, that they use uh boy they, they have no and i know that's nothing compared to the real the real uh stuff that other coaches used before i got into this deal so uh, I I, re- I fully realize everything is relative, uh, but uh, yeah, the USPS was was uh, they they were uh, they were in control of many scouting reports for a long long time, Coach. Well, that's uh, true. Yeah, um, you know it's uh, you've talked about uh, and, and I you know I don't want to put uh, uh, put you on the spot too much, but I, I was reading your bio and you said you're you're working on writing a. a perhaps a series of, of books here. Um, is that still kind of, is that some, still something you've kind of got in the works here on, on writing some books on some coaching? Well, I actually wrote a series of three books, probably about gosh, 25 years ago. Okay. Uh, you know, one of them was a, an absolutely fascinating journey. It was called the art of being an assistant coach. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to address there. Yeah. So yeah, I sent out 50 questionnaires uh, to head coaches, I, I think 45 of them were, were basketball coaches. But I remember I sent one to Lou Holtz, a couple of football coaches, a couple of baseball coaches. Okay. And in the questionnaire, uh, I had given them a list of about 10 qualities an assistant coach, and I asked them to rank them in importance, one through 10. Mm-hmm. And loyalty was number one, mm-hmm. and work ethic was number two. Uh, recruiting was in the middle, you know, things that, I think young coaches would think, but they wanted loyal, hard workers. The fascinating thing to me was I asked them a question. I said, please list a characteristic that I forgot that you think is important. And the one that I forgot, and it came back on 75% of the questionnaires, was initiative. Your ability to see what needs to be done without being told. Gotcha. 
And uh, so I, I put all that information together in a book. I thought it was a great book, not because I wrote it, because really I didn't write it. I just reported back on the information that I got. And it went through about two or three printings. Gotcha. Um, so we had the art of being assistant coach, the the art of scouting. So let's get into some scouting stuff. What what do you, uh, you know, everybody's got their own way, their own system of doing it. And, and, and like we've talked about, we're, we're 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 uh we'll we'll call ourselves experienced coach not not old but experienced uh you know i've got my way of 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 scouting and and prepping and and the way i look at film or look at other teams uh what are some things that that you're looking at to to prep your teams and and get them ready to go uh for the next opponent and 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 how do you do things well, obviously, the first thing is an assistant coach. I have to know what my head coach needs. Yep. And and that's going to vary from head coach to head coach. Some head coach wants a lot. Some head coach not as much. And so that, that's the adjustment you make. I think probably uh, the biggest philosophical change I've had in scouting over the last 10 years is I used to be one of those guys who made sure I knew all the plays, uh, all those, all everything. You know, if, if, if a team had 60 sets – boom, I'd have 60 sets drawn up, and, and, and we would go from there. Now, I'll still draw up those sets. Mm-hmm. But having a conversation one time with, with Gino Oriema, he was more concerned with concepts. Like, he didn't care what they ran. He wanted to know where the shots were coming from. Like, you know, are they getting shots at the elbow, the high post? Or are they getting a lot of shots from paint touches where the paint touch pitch for a three, paint touch dunk? He wanted concepts, and we've really evolved to that. Mm-hmm. So instead of my kids having to know 60 plays or you know at least a, a, a large amount of them, we're looking for guys. This is where they score from. How do they score? Is it transition? Uh, is it second chance opportunities? Is it is it free throw situations? Is it pick and roll? What's the concept they're using to score the most? And then we try to take that concept away. You cannot take away everything. You mm-hmm. have to pick a couple of concepts. Then, if a team has a go to player, and not all teams do, but if they have a go to player, we want to try to limit their touches or limit their scoring options because when you have a go to player. That particular team tends to get addicted to that player to make things happen. Mm-hmm. So if you can take that away, and then you know there, there's the basic stuff. I mean, for me, there, there, there's two things. We want to get back and not give them any easy baskets. I, I don't care who they are, or what they run, and then we want to keep them off the free throw line. Yep. And probably shoot all nine years at Texas A and M. Uh, we made more free throws than the opponents attempted, and we were always ranked in the top ten in fewest free throws. So I think you have to take away a couple of things that are important, but I think your base defense has to be good at doing some things on a nightly basis regardless of who you're playing. Yeah. I, I kind of uh, picked up on that because um, I was kind of like you when I was younger. I'd be like, well, they run this play, and we've got to walk through every play that they do and all this other yeah. stuff. Yeah. And and I think it was the Super Bowl where the Patriots were undefeated and they lost and they had something with Belichick and he said, you know, the game's all about slants and something or other. You know, he was talking to his defense and they said, yeah, you know, that's all they talked about was it's just take away slants and whatever it was, you know, in football jargon. And I was like, 
you know, that's and, and what that does, I think, instead of worrying about plays, okay, here's the concepts and we drill those things, but that cuts your time down prepping for your opponent with and then that leaves you more time to get your team ready and get more reps on your stuff, which in actuality, the longer you do this, the more you realize it's more about you preparing your own team than it is getting ready for all the, the stuff that the other guy's going to do to you, don't you think? Uh, 100%. 100%. Uh, I will tell you this, though. Uh, I don't know anybody that was more detailed in scouting than Rick Majerus. And when they would go on the road, they would have like 40 easels in their <laughs> And if a team ran 40 plays, he would have all 40 drawn up. I, I know you got to know some Majera stories. You know, he, he would practice three hours so they could get all that in. And I, I, I'm not smart enough to do that. Uh, but, you know, there's so many different ways to do it. But I, I, I do kind of like the way uh, we've evolved. And, you know, kids are different today, too, Marty. I mean, their attention spans are short. You know, you can't give them all that stuff anymore. They're just not going to retain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I uh, we we had a coaches clinic. Uh, I put together a coaches clinic this past weekend, and and that's one of the things I'm I'm always telling coaches um, is is you have to speak their language. They they speak in TikToks and vines now. Yeah, bingo. And and so if you're gonna give a seven minute soliloquy on footwork on rebounding, you have lost them. You have absolutely lost them, and so you've got to you've got to perfect your verbiage or work on your verbiage so that your messages are short and concise and to the point, but so that the kids understand the the language that you're talking. So you jump back into the rep and get those reps uh, because, like you said, you know their brain their brains are different than than our brains are. They they've just been molded differently than than what you and I have been molded. You know. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that's just the way it is. Uh, and that's exactly right. You, you, you don't be that coach that complains about this generation of players because every generation of players has been different. One of the things that we've done is we went from a ten-page scouting report to a four-page scouting report. Now we have notebooks, mm-hmm. and and we demand those players are taking notes anytime we're talking or watching film. We also started cutting film down, so we may watch film two or three times during practice, but we may stop practice and, and watch about three minutes of film then practice a little bit, stop again, maybe watch four minutes, but shorter segments because you're going to lose them after that. I'll, I'll give you a name. Uh, there's a guy named Tim Elmore. Uh, you you got to Google him and pull up his stuff. Uh, he is the expert on millennials and how they receive information. Uh-huh. And, did he, did he write the book something uh god i i, I think, watch generations yeah yeah, yeah. um but i think there was another one that he wrote uh connecting with the millennials yeah i i, I know the guy sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but that's, sure. that's oh, gonna bother me today. I, I might have to google that real quick while you're talking coach go ahead uh yeah, as a matter of fact i'll tell you what if you, you'll shoot me your email i'll, I'll send you 40 pages of notes uh, that I took from him because it, it, it really is fascinating the way young people are wired. Uh, and, and you have to adjust. I'll tell you somebody who has really adjusted is Buzz Williams, the men's coach at Texas A&M. He is incredible at communicating to this, this, this style of kid. If, if you follow him on Twitter, 
mm-hmm. you know, you, you got to be versed in hieroglyphics because <laughs> he doesn't write. He uses all these symbols because that's what the kids are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if, if you're going to coach for a long period of time, you better be able to adjust and grow. Yep. I found it. It was Generation IY. That that was the name of the book that that I yep. read of Tim Elmore. So I knew I knew that name rang a bell. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, when we wrap up here, Coach. Um, I want to keep you on the line because I got a couple of other questions I want to ask you here. So we we will do the formal wrap up, uh, but then when we do that, if you could stay on the line, there's a couple other things I want to ask you about too as well. So um, absolutely. Um, one last thing. Uh, we had the, the art of, of being the assistant coach, the art of scouting, and the, the art of motivation. And, and let's wrap up with, with that, the art of motivation. And, and one of the things I love about your Twitter handle, man, if I need something to fit a situation where I'm like, okay, I need to say this to my kids, but I want to do something kind of nice and glossy, I just scroll through your Twitter feed, and in about two minutes, you've nailed something in the last week or two that, that has nailed the exact sentiment that, that I need to bring to my team. Uh, so the, the art of motivation, um, what are the keys to, to get kids playing hard, get them motivated, being great teammates, so forth and so on? Well, I, the first thing is to understand that every kid is different. Mm-hmm. Don't think that every kid is playing the game for the same reason. They're not. They're absolutely not. They come from different backgrounds. They were developed differently. Uh, they have different viewpoints. So if you want to motivate your kids at the highest level, you have to invest in them off the court. You have to have them in your office, take them to lunch, have them over to the house, and you have to have conversations about things other basketball you have to find out what their why is and that may be a journey you have to help them discover what their why is but kids can figure out real quick if you care about them as people or if you care about them because they're averaging 16 points a game mm-hmm. and uh they, they, you know one of the, the the strongest things i learned from from dale uh he just had a way to relate to every kid and you have to be fair across the board with this. You just don't invest in your starters. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you know, your players are going to know if you care about the team or if you care about certain individuals. Yes. So you have to be, and it, I'll be honest with you, Marty, it, it takes time. It takes a lot of work, mm-hmm. uh, but the payoff's huge. The payoff is one of the things I'm most proud of 41 years in coaching is the relationship I have with my players after they leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's how I know I've done my job. Yeah. You know, I've got, I'm going to here, here in two weeks, I'm going to, to watch one of my kids get married. Uh, you, you get an invitation for, for a kid's marriage eight years after you coach them, you had to do something right. Uh, phone calls, letters, notes. Uh, moving into my house here on the 18th, and I've got a former player that wants to come by and stay a couple of days on the 20th and talk coaching because she's into coaching. Uh, but that comes about because you develop the relationships. Then once and, – and, and listening is the biggest part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Felicia Hall Allen, who we talked about a step up, made a great comment yesterday. If you let the kids weigh in, you got a chance for them to buy in. And it, there's probably nothing more important now than trying to create avenues where kids have ownership uh, with the team, uh, with things that are involved with the team. And again, it takes a lot of work. It 
takes a lot of work. But if you want to motivate them, if you want them to hear what you're saying, you need to hear what they're saying first. And you have to have an understanding of where they're coming from. And, and then here's the other thing. Trust is everything. Yeah. I rarely promise a kid I can do something. My promise is I'll try. Yeah. Coach, can you, can, can you, ha- I promise you this, I'll do everything I can to help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you break a couple of promises, trust is gone. Gonna be hard to motivate that kid. Yeah, I I would uh, when when I coached at my previous position, we're a private school, and so uh, kids would be would be coming in from all over the city, and and uh, I know this is gonna be hard to imagine, coach, but there there is some subtle encouragement to an attend a, a, a high school institution from time to time in a, in a larger city, and, and and schools are competing for kids even at that level. Wow. And, 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 uh, I, I would tell kids and I know I lost kids because of this, but I would tell kids, I, I, I promise you four things. I promise you, I'll treat you fairly. I promise you, you'll have fun. I'll promise you that I'm going to make you work hard. And the most important thing is I'll promise you, you'll get a great education, but those are my promises and that's all I can promise you. And, and I think sometimes People are so worried about the wins and the losses that they think they have to make all of these promises. And and my thing has always been, if you're making all these promises to all these players, you're going to break. You're going to have to break some of those promises to deliver on other promises. And and I think that's where programs get sideways and and coaches get sideways where they've just been so anxious to to bring in player X, Y, and Z or that type of thing that that creates more issues down the line rather than solving issues. That's 100%. 100%. You know, when I was at uh, LSU, I had an opportunity to be there when Nick Saban was coaching. And mm-hmm. he was he was so good to us in sharing stuff. And he would always talk about one of the things that happens a lot of times is coaches and players let winning get in the way of the things they need to be doing that will help them win. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's a process guy over results. And I think you're right. I think sometimes coaches make promises on the short term because they think it may help them win a game and that it's going to backfire and they're going to lose a kid or, or even lose their team. I've seen coaches lose their team uh, because of broken promises. And uh, I, I tell you what, those four promises you made, I mean, that's what, I, that's, that's what I'd want a coach to promise my kid. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we did. That's what we did. So, uh, Coach, social media you want to plug? Oh, Sure. <laughs> uh, if, if you're not media. following it before this, I'm disappointed. But just in case you're not, well, you know, it's a great point for young coaches too. Who are you following on social media? You know, I've got I've got a list of of, of people that I just have to follow because because I learn from them. Uh, I think my Twitter handle is Coach Bob Starkey. Mm-hmm. I think my Instagram handle is Hoop Coach Bob Starkey. Okay. Well, get coaches. If you're not following coach, uh, you got to get on that as soon as you're as soon as you're done listening to this. Jump on. There's great things on there almost every single day. Uh, coach Bob Starkey, uh, new women's assistant basketball coach at Auburn University. Coach, this has been a privilege and an honor. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, and, and, and having our listeners, you know, uh, you taking the time to, to help out these coaches. I know they're going to get a ton of great stuff from our conversation. I know I have this evening, and, and I'm really excited for our listeners to hear this. 
Well, Marty, I had a blast. And I'll be honest with you, I learned some stuff from you. I mean, this is this is good stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to pull up some of your podcasts and listen to them. I mean, this is great stuff. Well, thank you. I, I am I am honored and, and humbled that you would think that much of it. So, uh, hey, any plug that you could give us would be greatly appreciated. Would be tremendously oh, appreciated. You don't have to worry about that, brother. All right, uh, Coach. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to cut it off here. And thanks so much for your time this evening. Thank you. Coaches want to have the opportunity to have a hands-on mentor to help you hone your craft as a basketball coach? Look no further than teachhoops.com, a place where coaches go to get better. Coach Steve Collins of Madison, Wisconsin shares his three decades of coaching knowledge with his subscribers through resources like podcasts, one-on-one mentoring sessions, and much more with teachhoops.com. Go to teachhoops.com backslash A-P-A-A-N, that's a pen and a napkin, where subscriptions start at $34.99 a month. When you sign up, you get a 14-day free trial. So combine teachhoops.com with a pen and a napkin to help make you the best coach that you can be. And in the second half of our interview podcast this week is Babe Kwasniak. Uh, this this uh, this part of the podcast is sponsored by Rod Stewart. Um, only, oh, only, <laughs> only Coach Kwasniak and I get that joke right now, but right now neither one of us cares because we both think it's really funny right now. So uh, we'll, we'll just let the world wonder what our inside joke is, Coach. Uh, how you doing tonight, babe? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Coach Marty. I, pre- I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. Good, good, to, good, to, good to hear your voice again. It's been a couple of years, right, since, since you had me on the last time. Yeah, it's it's been about a year and a half, and, uh, you know, uh I did want to tell you, uh, you know, this whole thing is kind of starting to take off a little bit, uh, a little bit more than I ever thought I would, you know, and uh, you coming on early and, and, and having a little faith to come on with a perfect stranger uh, <laughs> a, a year and a half ago or so. Uh, with, no, I'm, I'm being serious. It was it was yeah. a big part of of this thing kind of taking off a little bit. And and so uh, from the bottom of my heart, thanks so much for, for just uh, – having a little faith in, in somebody you'd never talked to before in your life to come on and, and talk hoops. Cause it's, it's really helped me out. Well, when you think about it, when you say, you say that was 18 months ago, I mean, my gosh, when, when you, when you magnify, you know, when you put COVID in there on the other things, it feels like three lifetimes ago, right? Marty? Oh, um, oh geez. You ain't and, kidding there. You know, right. And just, it just, it seems like forever ago. And then plus, yes, you, you've done such a great job. I was just checking out, you know, trying to do my homework, I was checking out the, some of the Twitter stuff, and I really enjoyed that article about the um, about the wearing the hats in school and how basically what it said to me was, you know, you can't have high expectations and low standards. And yeah, um, yeah it's uh, no, you you have done a you know a really good job, and um, as you know, it's it's more than just the X's and O's. It's about building a you know building an elite culture and protecting that culture. And yeah, just I'm just and just with that being said, I'm I'm happy to be a part of your culture at a napkin and a pen, man. Um, or a pen and a napkin, or whichever one it is. Um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, well, uh, you know, it's it's been good. You know, we've um, we've we've stayed in a little bit of touch every every couple of months or so. We'll we'll shoot a text back and forth to one another, and and uh, it, it's just been good for me. Um, I don't know if I told you this or not. We had talked about Mitch Ballack the last time we had mm-hmm. talked, and and mm-hmm. uh, a week later, I took my sports history class on a field trip to the Creighton facilities and we go into uh, the locker rooms and stuff and and there's Mitch and I'm like hey I just talked to a guy that knows you in Ohio 
He's like, oh, Coach Quaz. He knew exactly yeah. who it was right away. So, uh, oh, know. that makes me emotional, man, because I, I, uh, I remember um, I had that kid when he was, my goodness, I want to say he was a freshman um, at Steph Curry camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, he went to Eudora, he went to Eudora High School. And uh, and I was very well aware of Eudora High School in Kansas because my wife is, was from that area, and we were living there. I was coaching at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Then I was coaching at St. James Academy, and mm-hmm. uh, he's just one of those kids. Just kind of remind me of, of a throwback. Like at that time, I was like, "Holy smokes, this kid's the next Chris Mullen!" And it's just been so incredible to follow his career. And uh, yeah, I, speaking of that, when he played his last game in the NCAA tournament this year, I just just sent him a text, just telling him how. You know how proud I am of him, and um, yeah. Now, thank you for sharing that with me because, uh, yeah, that's that's one of those kids. He, you know, he comes around. Kids, kids like Mitchell Dowell come around once every 20, 25 years, right? Just, just yep. in terms of work ethic and just the type of young man he is. And um, I remember the pleasure of meeting his parents. But if I ever did, I'd, I'd shake their hand and say they, whatever they did, I'd like to do the same thing with my boys because they did something right raising that young man. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So. Well, let's jump into to your stuff here. Um, you know, it's it's been, like you said, it's been 18 months or so since we last officially recorded something here, and uh, things have, have changed uh, pretty drastically, and, and, I, and I don't want to rehash any of, of the, the negative type of things. What, what I wanted to focus on was, and, and you were in a situation, I was in the situation for two years, uh, you were in the situation for one year where uh, you don't have a team. You, you don't have a team, and and even when you feel like you're you're kind of ready for a break, it's it's still a big time adjustment. Uh, not going to the gym every day, and pr- you know putting together practice plans and and having that. And some of that is good, but it's 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 a little bit scary uh, as well. So uh, I wanted to lead with this, babe. Is is kind of in your year off, you know. What did you do to kind of fill the time? Uh, what did you do to, uh, to 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 try and make yourself a better coach for uh, what you were probably thinking? Hey, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm out right now, but there's a there's a pretty decent chance, you know, there's that that I could get back into this if the situation was right. Oh wow! What a what a what a what a whammy to start with. <laughs> um, well, you, you know, Marty. First, I would say. And I mean this in the most benevolent way possible, and you, you know this because you know how, how I am and how I wear you know my heart on my sleeve. Yeah. Is I did have a team. I, I do have a team. I'm, I'm with the United States Army, which sure. I mean we're the best best team in the world. 10 0 and one in World Wars. If you count Vietnam as a draw, and uh, <laughs> so so from that standpoint, um, you know my mind probably wasn't floating, you know, to to the coaching part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then when you just when you just rehash like the whole thing in terms of like my roller coaster, uh, in the last couple of years, I mean, in in August of 2019, I was sworn in as a civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army for Ohio. At the time, I was 43 years old. I was the youngest civilian aide they ever had in, in the history of the United States of America. Um, so you know that that was that was ongoing when I was still coaching at um, at Bill Angel St. Joseph. Um, Right, right after that time, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. She she recently went through her second fight with that, which was 
um, absolutely incredible. Um, and the reason I bring it up is because, you know, you're talking about coaching. It just makes you realize, you know, kind of what's important in life. Absolutely. You know, then you throw in, you know, then you throw in um, right before the COVID thing hits. Um, I'm, I'm in my 10th year at VASGA. We, we were, we had our first losing season, but up until that point, we're, uber successful i mean three times on espn for a little small school on the in north of the boulevard in, in northeast uh, northeast cleveland um three state championships five times in a row go to the state championship game I had nine guys you know full full division one scholarships and uh you know that they bring in a professional quarterback to, to, to fire me to, you know yeah. to get rid of me they, they had the they had the police walk me out of the building right and, yeah. um you know and, and the reason i bring it up now is because uh, you know, I've had so many folks say, well, you know, you got a raw deal, you, you know, you probably, you probably got screwed. It's like, okay, maybe you're right. But, but then you fast forward a couple months later in, in September, um, I, you know, I go into Ohio Veterans Hall of Fame with the likes of Ulysses S. Grant, John Glenn, Neil Armstrong, and, and uh, Woody Hayes. So, mm-hmm. you know what, um, Marty, those things kind of tend to like cancel each other out, right? So, yeah, so absolutely. I'm, I'm not so sure I'm, I'm so deserving of that. And, you know, listen, um, this was, and I really do believe, I'm not the guy holding the Bible verse on the corner, but I really do believe God has done everything for a purpose, yeah. especially in my life. And that's why uh, I don't know my Bible verses the way I should, but it's not my will be done, it's thy will be done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, it's just, um, you know, as you know, uh, um, you know I'm, I'm very heavily involved with, with veteran suicide. We, we're losing more veterans to to suicide than, than we are in combat and you know so it's just it kind of made, made me realize okay what is my purpose here Where, yeah. whereas maybe my whole life i always kind of categorized myself as a, as a high school basketball coach and, and that really was my entire life i was a gym rat and, mm-hmm. you know um so so to answer your question you know it was it was almost a wake-up call for me uh-huh. on what's really important mm-hmm. you know then you parlay that with COVID hits and what a great year not to coach, Marty. I mean, it was, it, it was a grease fire. Like, just even going to the games and sitting there, and it's like, we're not, we're doing handshakes, we're not doing handshakes, we're, I mean, all of it. I mean, to me, a lot of it was just silly. I mean, I don't know how that happened in Nebraska, but like in Ohio, like some of these kids were going to school virtually and then going to practice every day. Like, yeah. that made absolutely zero sense to me. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it's the pinnacle of hypocrisy. We're talking about these kids are student athletes, and then, um, so, so, you know, to answer your question, um, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm better at life as overall at just enjoying yeah. things. Right. Um, uh-huh. I think my story is pretty well known in 2015. I tried to drive off a cliff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here I am, you know, years later and, you know, getting let go from or being fired. I mean, it's kind of hard for anything to be as hard as that was. Sure. It's just, you know, as hard as anything to be as hard as watching my wife fight breast cancer twice. So yeah. just make sure you realize what, what truly is important, um, which is the relationships and the relationships I had with, with the, with the kids at the Angeles St. Joseph can never be, can never be compromised no matter what they try to say I did or didn't do. Um, the relationships with my own family and, you know, and the people who love me. And, um, it just kind of made me just, like you said, recalibrate, kind of look back, um, and to be honest, I had so many people saying exactly what you just said, Marty. Like, man, that you couldn't wait to get at it. I, I'm not, it was the opposite. I, I did some games 
on Talkback Fans Podcast. I did some cover commentating, which I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just got to be, you know, I got to do my best Tony Romo impression and just kind of like call, <laughs> call out what was going to happen before it happened. Yeah. I work with two great guys by the name of Pat Langdon and Terry Heil. I, I guarantee you that they'll listen to this broadcast. And those guys just became, you know, and the more I did it with them, the more I thought, you know what? Like, I don't need to do this anymore. And I guess that would be my number one thing is maybe I'm the wrong guy for, for you to have on here, Coach Plum, because, uh, like, my thing is, who would want to do this anymore? It's, um, <laughs> I mean, you know. I, I, I know exactly like, what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying, yeah. And maybe this is a terrible comparison, but I'm going to make it anyway uh, because I'm, I'm dogmatic and that's what I do. I, I give my hot take. You know, you look at, like, there's nothing worse for a police officer than a bad cop, right? So yeah. there's nothing worse for a good cop than a bad cop. You look at like what is going on with our world today. Like who and what, one of my mentors is a West Point graduate guy by the name of Jimmy Galliano, a huge, huge hoops fan. You know, you could follow him on Twitter. He, he ran with the FBI and he's a mayor now in Cornwall. And, um, and he, I, I saw him at a wedding recently and he said, he goes, and he was joking with me. He said, you know, he said, hey, Qua- hey, Captain Quaz, he goes, what's the worst profession right now, being a cop or being a high school basketball coach? And we both started laughing. Um, yeah. You know, it just makes you think, like, right, who would want to do this now? And you are right. For me, it was going to take the perfect situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exactly what I fell into. I, I just literally fell into a place where um, they didn't even look at my resume. Um, you know, I, I applied to some other places, Marty. There was, there was one place where my two references were General Dempsey and Coach K, and neither of those guys even got a call back. So at that point, I'm like, okay, if, if, if I can't get a call back with those two guys as my <laughs> references, then maybe I'm just done coaching. Maybe people think I'm just this nut job that just shouldn't be around kids and I'm not, not good for kids anymore and was kind of just accepting my fate. And then, you know, this came up and, um, you know, it's a place that, that puts Jesus, the relationship with Jesus first above all. Like I said, they didn't even look at my resume, and I'm going to have a chance to coach with my dad, and, and my oldest son is going to be a senior, my middle son is going to be a freshman, and I mean, how good is that, yeah. right? Like, how good, how, how many how many guys can pass up that up? Not to mention the fact that the caliber of kid yeah. that I'm just going to get a chance to coach it. And are we going to win a state championship? Uh, I'd say, you know, not impossible, but very improbable, and uh, people, you know, people might not believe me. You might not believe me, but I don't care. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm here to take young men um, and turn them into, take young boys and turn them into men and, and glorify God. And, and, and I think we do that by doing our best at everything we possibly can do. And and just very, very blessed and happy for the opportunity to do that again. Do, do you feel like the whole the whole thing um, was just? Uh, it, it was just a. Uh, it, it turned out to be again. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But it, it was. It was just a, 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 a. In a way, it was a blessing and a reset. Like, and it, and it kind of reset some balance. And you, like you said, you kind of. You know, you're able. And I, and and your priorities of. I, you know, and we don't. We know each other a little bit, but we don't know each other really, really well. But to me, you know, you you've seemed like a guy that you know. You know, pretty well. You you got your priorities really straight and and that type of thing. But every now and then, even when we think we've got our priorities straight and we feel like we've got balance, we need that kind of kick in the butt to say, "Well, now this is where I really need you right now, and and your family needs you." And I and I kind of felt like that. I mean, you know, I uh, you know stepped away, and then four or five months later, 
my father-in-law got diagnosed with uh, cancer and, and, and he struggled for about a year and a half. And my wife, uh, kind of said, you know, I, I think you needed to be there for me while my dad went through this for this year and a half battle that he had with cancer. Um, you know, and it's just, just stuff like that, 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 you know, when, when, when we need a little direction, there's others there that are kind of directing us and it seems like it sucks at the time, but it turns out to be a real blessing in, in, in hindsight. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, whenever you take those personality tests, right, like I, I'm not even type A, I'm like type AAA, right? So, um, and, and, and another one of my mentors is, uh, is Clark Kellogg, and Special K tells me all the time, just talks about balance, right? Yeah. Is, hey, Captain, you got to have balance. And, you know, I got a, uh, I got a reputation for being a name dropper, but that's the one thing that's never bothered me is because I just so my whole entire life is based on relationships, and based on, you know, the people I talk to. And I, I've name-dropped plenty of them to you, Frank Michelle, Steph Curry, Doug Collins. Um, you know, but, but again, it doesn't bother me because I, I have genuine relationships with those guys. And Absolutely. At some point in my life, it was critical to, to save my life. You know, and going back to what you were saying, you know... It might have been a blessing. No, it not might have been a blessing. It absolutely is, Marty. Yeah. I mean, even in my own life, uh, for the longest time, I lived with so much shame and so much guilt that I tried to take my own life back in 2015. Uh, and I finally told my story on a podcast in June of 2020. And what it made me realize is um, if I didn't go through that, that I wouldn't be able to help people now. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's uh, like, there's, there's no way I would be equipped to help people now. Mm-hmm. So now it's just like, you see you know, anything negative that happens and, and you're right. When it happened at St. Joe's, I mean, I grew up there, you know, when, when people say, let it go, it just, it just upsets you because it's not like I just coached there for 10 years. I, I spent yeah. my whole life there yep. and my, my dad spent his whole life there. And the guy was you know, 78 years old. And you're basically kicked out of your home. Mm-hmm. When you get kicked out of your home, it hurts, right? And, oh, yeah, a thousand listen, percent, yeah. Hate, hate is not the opposite of love. Apathy is, mm-hmm. right? So at the t- for a while, I, you know, it was, I had a lot of hate in my heart. And, you know, now I'm getting to the point where it just doesn't bother me anymore. It, sure. it's, it's apathy, where it's like, okay, um, it just has no impact on my life. I mean, mm-hmm. what you folks think of me or don't think of me just really has no impact on my life and because you're not in control of my happiness. I am. Yep. And now I'm going to focus on right. The kids I can coach, the kids I can um, make a difference on their, on their life. And, and knowing that God doesn't say, oops, he put me here for a reason. And uh, you know, and then you just get confused. You're like, okay, maybe I, maybe I can not coach. And, and now here I am getting ready to rev it up again. But, but I am, I, I'm, I'd be lying to you if I told you, I'm not really, really excited. I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm waking up at two in the morning and jotting stuff down already about, you know, schemes and some things we, we could do because, you know, yeah, you can take me out of the game, but you can't take, um, you can't take you know, the game you out of you. Take, correct. Yeah. Um, so when you were, when you were looking to get back into it, um, and this is what this is this was my experience, and I'm just going to bounce my experience off of you and see if how similar it was or how different it was. But but I had a um, I had a list of about five things that they were non-negotiables. Like if I was going to get into a situation, here's the here's the five things that the the five criteria that it had to be met, or I was going to walk away. And 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 I got into the point where. Um, you know, I was comfortable walking away if it didn't, you know, when you're, when you're younger, sometimes you feel like, well, I have to take the job, even though it's got three of the five things that I'm looking for. Well, you know, I was, you know, I was like, 
unless it hits all five, I'm out, you know, and, and, and that's kind of the way I approached my re-entrance into coaching and to give all the credit to my administration, uh, that I'm working for right now, um, they, they, they nailed it. I mean, they, they made it impossible for me to, to turn down the job when it was offered, um, and and that's the way I kind of attacked my situation when I when I made the decision to at least look at getting back into it. Were, were you kind of the same way? No, no, <laughs> not. I mean, for ten years I, I didn't take a salary. I, I never took a dollar from the school. As a matter of fact, I, I probably gave over over a hundred thousand just based on donating my my money back to the school. Um, so I mean, maybe a little different because I didn't work at the school and that wasn't how I fed my family. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Marty, the only thing that mattered to me were my kids, uh-huh. um, you know, and, and my oldest son transferred there. And, and once he went there, I mean, we, we were all in. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the, that was kind of the angst in the first, in, in my other job is the principal and Elvis who fired me, they didn't send their kids to St. Joe's. So basically, uh-huh. um, you know, it was good enough for, it was, you know, my, my, it was good enough for my kid. But, you know, they can work there with the inner city kids, but it wasn't good enough to send their own kids there. Yeah. And right or wrong, I probably voiced that when maybe there was times I probably shouldn't have. But I thought it was the pinnacle of hypocrisy. Like, you know, you you, 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 you get a paycheck from here, um, you know, but, but your kids, would, you would never send your kids here. And I would almost compare it to like in what I do in the Army. Like the hardest things the recruiters tell me all the time, and they say, "Sir, our biggest challenge is is we'll have somebody on Veterans Day, Memorial Day, they'll wave the flags and they'll say we support you, and we'll do whatever. But then when it comes time for their kid to join the army, they won't let them. They'll mm-hmm. say, hey, 'Hey, we'll buy you a BMW and we'll we'll pay for you to go to Harvard. Just don't join the army.' Yeah. And you know, I just I, I feel like that's not right, Marty. If, yep. if, if, if you're going to sell something, you got to believe in it. Right. And, uh, yep. and, and listen, the number one thing I can do to show I believe in a place is send my kid there. So now once my kid was at Cornerstone Christian, uh, I was all in. Now, now listen, I, I learned from my past mistakes of knowing that there's a certain things like, Hey man, and you call them non-negotiables. Uh, I, I don't know. You just, it's just such a different day and age. It's just so people are different. Yeah. I, I don't think administrators care about winning anymore. I mean, I went 48 and six in the state tournament and got fired. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think most administrators want no problems. That, mm-hmm. That's all they want. So understand, understand that. Listen, I mean, my, my wife tells me all the time that if I want to stick around, I got to not be as big of a pain in the ass. Now, I'm always <laughs> going to be, I mean, I'm going to be a pain in the butt, and, but I got to, understand like what battles I just just have to yeah. let go yeah and knowing that the most important piece is is listen I'm, i get a chance to be in my sons i mean i get a chance to be in their lives um and, and not only that but it, it enables me to be around other kids that are just really 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 great kids and and if that's a sacrifice i got to make for putting up for something else then to me to me it's completely worth it yeah. uh, but, but going back to what i said I, if my kids went at the school would i be doing this i don't know that i would be Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's, it, it's a danger area for our, for our game, Marty, because there's just a lot of good coaches getting out of this because it's just not worth it. It's not worth dealing with the parents. It's not worth dealing with administrators that don't get, you know, don't get people's backs. Um, you know, I just told you about my angst with St. Joe's. Well, that was the AD. Uh, um, like I said, she didn't look at my basketball resume. We didn't, we didn't have one conversation about basketball. We talked about our relationship with Jesus and she said, she knew my, what my soft area was. She said, all three of my kids went here. I go, well, you know, where, where do I sign up? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, and, that, and, that, and that was it. That was, that, that was the interview. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that's uh, interesting that you go through that. Um, and, 
And I guess my, my last big question that I have for you, and, and you kind of have answered it a little bit, kind of what you, your, your wife said, but, you know, looking back on it, and we all do it, whether it's whether it's your marriage or whether it's your full-time job, you learn from experiences, you learn from your mistakes, you learn from your successes, uh, that type of stuff. Um, now that you've had this time away and now you're getting back into it, you know, are you looking at, at doing uh, – Anything much differently than you did at uh, Villa Angela St. Joseph or, or you know, I'm me and, and here I am and, and you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with it or, you know, just, just kind of what if, you know, now with the, again, the benefit of some hindsight and looking back on it and now you're jumping back into it, um, what, what adjustments could you possibly looking at, be looking at now that you're moving into this, this, this new gig? From a bad, from a basketball standpoint, no, uh, you don't, you know, you don't fall to, to the mountaintop on accident. And yeah. I mean, again, we were we were ranked as high as fifth in the country. And shoot, man, one year when we got all killed down fourteen in the fourth quarter, we beat them. We're probably number one in the country. And again, we, we weren't a prep school. We weren't, you know. Looking back, the most amazing thing we did was keep all those kids together with with how crazy this this transfer thing is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But but in, but but in terms of leadership and professional development absolutely marty i mean yeah. every day i'm looking to get better yep. you know and if i if, if i could say okay here's the most important thing for me is and this is and again this is something my wife talks about all the time just how principled i am and everything's kind of black and white and that's the west point in me right if, if you know the partial truth is a full lie is i think probably in my past i was um i was focused on always being right Right, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's like, hey, yeah. there's an administrator there. He 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 had alcohol coming here, and he shouldn't be here with alcohol on his breath. Like, I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. Now, when looking back, like, um, you know, like I think it's more important to always be real, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. You, you know, yeah. So, so another way, another way to handle that would be like, uh, you know, instead of yelling and saying, "Hey, man, you're dead wrong," and saying, "Hey, you know." Um, you know, get one-on-one where you're not in front, screaming in front of everybody and just saying, you know what, man, like, just, just want to let you know I'm worried about you because, like, you had alcohol on, on your breath and you're at a school function, yeah. right? And so now you're being real and you're, just, you're showing a general concern for a guy as opposed to, like, okay, I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. Because you just look at, you look at most conflicts and most conflict management, it's like, you know, we got to worry about um, not who's right but getting it right. And I, I think that's pretty much, you know, the essence of leadership and just in our political climate and just and everything I do working with the Pentagon as a civilian aid. And uh, that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned, Marty. And, and listen, I'm, I'm better than I was. Am I am I perfect? Oh, my goodness. I'm the farthest thing. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm the farthest thing from it. And, 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 and no, none I, of us are. You know, yeah, and and I'm not going to change. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to change who I, who I am and. Um, you know, the hashtag winners win, as we talked about last time, it will always be who I am. I, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it right. You're going to try your best, uh, you know, to do anything less is, is unacceptable. And, um, you know, it's so, so in terms of like how I build a program, uh, you know, my views on what makes, you know, what makes a team go and, you know, that none of that, none of that is going to change. I, I don't yeah. believe in a system. I believe in a culture yeah. and for people that don't understand that. Uh, you know, we've played different ways. I think this year we're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna try to. We might not even play defense. We might just try to score 100 points a game and see if we can break a high school record. You know, because because um, I think that's kind of the way we're structured. Uh, but you know, and knowing that it's 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 a different day and age. I mean, mm-hmm. 
when I got there, our, the best kid that was there was averaging 27 points a game. He, he left for a senior year. He transferred out. I guess his parents were having some issues with the school. And I mean, even even his his coach at his new school called me. He's like, he, he told the family, he's like, hey, man, you got Quaz coming there now. This is a pretty good opportunity. You know, and they still left. You know, where in the past I'd have been like, you know, I would have taken that personally. And, and now I just understand, hey, all I can do is be real and I don't have to worry about being right anymore. Yeah. It's just not that important. And, and by the way, for the people that don't like the winner's win, I love it, man. I, I think, <laughs> I, I, well, but because, you know, why, why should I lower my standard to meet your, to meet yours? You raise your standard to meet mine and, and yeah. whatever we're going to do. And, and it's kind of the, the, the lesson I, I teach, you know, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm not standing on my soapbox here saying I'm the perfect parent or the perfect coach or the perfect mm-hmm. teacher. Again, far from it. But, you know, when my kids mow the lawn, hey, mow it right the first time and do it right the first time. <laughs> you know, yeah. don't do, not do uh, you know, a, a 75% job, an 85% job, a 95% job. Do it right the first time because that's the way you should do it. If you're, especially if you're capable of doing it right the first time. So just go ahead and, and, and do it right the first time. And, and our, you know, here's my expectation, kids. I'm very clear on what I want my lawn to look like. And by the way, it's my lawn because I pay for it. So you're going to do it the way that I want to. And, and, and so I, I, I think that there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with you know the older I get, um, the more I look at it as like you know as long as my standard is is reachable and it's fair, um, there's nothing wrong with with saying yeah hey you know what I'm gonna make you reach my standard and and that's when when you when you put that stuff when you when you say winners win that's the way I look at it babe is 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 in that is in that way. And and not everybody is going to be able to reach the the same goals or, or the same standards. You're, you're going to have kids in the classroom that are A students that are going to get A's. But you're going to have a kid that can only get a B. But if that kid busts his mm-hmm. butt and gets a B, you know what? Then he's winning. Then he's, he's, then winning. he's winning. Then yeah. he's winning. Yeah, that's, you know, this is, I learned this in the Army, you cannot have high expectations and low standards. Yeah. And I see it from all these Twitter warriors all the time, just running their mouth and saying, uh, right, like just talking about hey, what they're going to do, which you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. Um, I mean, coming back, going back to my own life, uh, I, I've, I've always said this, Marty, I've taken one L in my entire life. And it was in 2015, when in the November of 2015, when I took a bunch of pills and I tried to drive off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that was the only L I ever took. And here's the amazing part. As coaches, what do we talk about all the time? We talk about the process. Like, I have three sons, and I and I got my oldest is, he wants to go to West Point Air Force. We're both recruiting him for golf, and he, he's got a 440 mile, and he's just, he had 32 points in the basketball game. He's, just, just a, he's, a, he's a stud. And he gets it from his mother, by the way. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And, <laughs> and, and, and it's almost to the point where, like, I worry about him sometimes because he can't do anything for fun, right? Because it's yeah. just he's so competitive and he's so driven. But it's going to make him, you know, it's going to help him in the business world it's gonna, or whatever he does. He wants yep. to be a doctor. And, and I guess as coaches, we always talk about the process, right? Like, yep. if you just try everything to the best of your ability, and I tell him, like, if you if you always, if you study as hard as you do, if you work as hard as you do, it's... You know, like it's 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 hard to fail in life. Like mm-hmm. you're going to be successful. Like I, I say this 
all the time as a coach. If your if your best player is your hardest worker, you're always going to enjoy that team. Yep. If your best player is your best leader, it's almost impossible to not enjoy that coach and that team. Yeah. Right. Now, now sometimes your best player is not your best leader, and you can still be good, but you know as coaches, that's not what we derive it from. But anyway, going back to that process, suicide is the one thing that you know that all that mattered, Marty, was the result. All mm-hmm. that mattered was that was what was on the scoreboard. So when I say winners win, like, somehow by the grace of God, which is literally how the grace of God is defined, is something you don't deserve, uh, is, is, like, I'm still here. And to this day, I, I don't know, well, I know why now, but, like, I, I get on my hands and knees every morning. And I, I, I thank God because I shouldn't even be here. That was the one thing where, well, like I took an out, I failed that, and thank God that I did. Yeah. Whereas everything else, if I just if I just try as hard as I can, then I'm hashtag winners win. Yeah. Where this was the one suicide was the one thing where the process didn't matter, right? Yeah. Uh, and, we, and believe me, that'd be for a whole other podcast because we can get into like gun control and <laughs> all those kind of things that I talk about on a daily basis that are, you know, that that I'm very very passionate about. And, sure. And drive me nuts. But yeah. but the, the the fact is, what was the end result, Marty? Is I'm still here. Yep. Um, you know, with the army, our, our motto is people first, winning matters. Now, if the United States Army didn't think that winning mattered, we, we'd all be in big trouble. But we'd be speaking Japanese or German, first yeah. off, right? Or maybe in the future, Chinese. Yeah, um, yeah so, exactly. You know, it does. It, it matters. And, and I do, I think this is Pat Summit that talked about this one time. Is like, you know, it's not the fact that you're – it's not the fact that you're winning or losing games that matters. It's the fact that you're trying your best yeah. to win or lose games that matters. And, and now that I'm at a, a bedrock of a Christian school, it's, listen, I, I don't know if Jesus cares how many games Cornerstone Christian wins. He cares. He, he cares how much effort we give. He mm-hmm. cares what we get about our God-given ability. And he cares how much we love each other. And, and I can promise you that, that we, we, we will do those things. I can promise you that. I have no doubt, my friend. I have no doubt at all. Babe Kwasniak, Cornerstone Christian Academy. That's got a nice ring to it, my friend. That's got a nice I ring know. to it. That, that, yeah, the, 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 the Patriots. How great of a nickname is that for Captain Quas? The Patriots. Red, red, white, and blue. The colors. I mean, it was just it was it was made for me, Marty. It was it was teed up for me. It, it rolls off the tongue like the like a. Uh, the the salmon from Capistrano or something like that. So. Like a Rod, like a Rod Stewart '80s ballet, uh, ballad, <laughs> or whatever they call it. It's a ballet, ballad, yeah. Like, oh. like a Rod Stewart, like a Rod Stewart love song. Right? You betcha, you betcha, and uh, yeah, that's. Uh, oh, I'm I'm really glad you're a time zone away because if I had to see you tomorrow at work, I would not be able to look you in the <laughs> eye, ma'am. Uh, I would not be able to look you in the uh, eye. So. Uh, Please give your wife my best and, and tell her about that honest mistake. Tell her, tell I will. We'll keep, I we'll will. Keep, we'll keep it classy. All right. So. Well, hey, hold the line a second here, my friend. Here, i got to wrap up. So, Babe Kwasniak from Cornerstone Christian Academy in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, thanks again for coming on, Babe. Can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, again, we want to thank our founding sponsor, Cosac Chiropractic, for sponsoring the pod. Uh, subscribe to teachhoops.com. Uh, backslash APAAN, and you get a 14-day free trial, so give it a go, gang. Uh, again, a pen and a napkin university starts this summer, right after the 4th of July, uh, so uh, be ready to sign up for that. Follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Download, rate, and review this awesome podcast. Uh, we led off with Bob Starkey, and we are closing with Babe Kwasniak. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me 
at a pin and a napkin at gmail.com. Coaches, as always, let's stay safe, let's pray for peace, and let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.